0: You're listening You're listening You're listening You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more
1: If you want to learn about the music industry And you don't know where to go
2: Tune in to WP88.7 Brave New
1: Radio We got managers, producers, record labels Concert promoters galore You never know Wednesday at 8 p.m.
2: Please, 101
1: and more, with Professor David Filp and Dr. Esteban Marconi! Si. Hola, amigos! Professor David Kirk with Dr. Esteban Marconi. Music is 101 and more on Brave New Radio. It's great to have you, Dr. Esteban. How are you today? Okay,
3: how are you? Very early.
1: Very early on the day that we are recording this. It's uh, actually 3 a.m. We're about to go fishing in the creek, but we wanted to get one of these in before it was too late. And so should we give thanks? Okay. All right. We're going to give some thanks. We're going to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Verno, Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Readers Down, St. Vincent, Kiss, Zach Brown, Tima Likes Music. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. You you want to go to VB-CPA.com when you're ready. Not when they're ready. They're ready. But when you're ready. And we want to give thanks to Christine. Roy. They. A wealth manager at the Forefront FOUR group. Christine has helped professionals and amateurs all around the world manage their investments, plan after the retirement. When you are thinking, and we're talking about you, listener, when you're thinking of building a bridge to your financial future, this is a metaphorical bridge, not a physical structure. You want to think about the Forefront group and go to Christine at forefront.com. Please
3: leave the last oil off for savings,
1: which is a no brainer. Manny Junior Band, 7th Edition. She is out now. Yes. Yes. The University of William Patterson Music Business Program. Ranked again by Billboard as one of the best in the world. Yes. Yes. We have a guest coming on. Her name is Kellen Barnes. She works for Sony Music Publishing. She's worked with yes. ASCAP. She's worked at many places. And she's just coming aboard right now.
3: Dr. Esteban, take it away! So how did you get here from William Patterson to where that's, you are now? That's a great
0: question. Um, I honestly have to really thank William Patterson for actually how I got here. I would not have gotten here without it. Um, and really
3: without the two of you. <laughs> you really this, this whole episode is going to be about you. <laughs> I should back up one second too to say that you came from the Midwest in particular, Mm -hmm. you wanted to be actually in the music business
0: that's right yeah
3: yeah you chose William Patterson maybe we should go that route why did you choose William Patterson do you remember
0: yeah um actually I do so I've really I've wanted to work in the business since I was like 12 years old um and you guys know that there's not a lot of options for degrees in this field Mm um I applied to most programs i think i didn't really want to go west coast i really wanted to go east coast i really wanted to be in new york um that didn't stop me from applying to a few schools in nashville but honestly i really had never heard of william patterson um at this point it was towards the end of my senior year of high school and i actually was going to play in the band at ferris state university in big rapids michigan um Mm -hmm. That was kind of just where things were leaning. I'm not really sure why I picked Ferris State um, initially. I didn't really like the school. It was too far north. You could only like intern in New York like one semester out of the like your whole four year career, but mm-hmm. that's where I was gonna be. Um, I was really dissatisfied in like April with that decision, so I just googled like best music business schools in the United States, and that famous billboard article popped up and Mm -hmm. willie p was like number two or three on the list and i clicked on it and i want to say within like an hour i had applied and i was like all right let's just this is a much better option i think and honestly i had accepted and everything before i had even been to the school Mm -hmm. i hadn't actually been until freshman orientation and i was like well there's no going back now (laughs) this is it (laughs) But overall, like, much better program. I mean, you guys really pushed for, like, internships, you know, networking events. Mio was, like, a great asset. I really enjoyed being in that club. Um, and I think that just by having those contacts, um, really, to where I am. Um, honestly, like, my first job really was the college, uh, what was it, ambassador with right. Warner.
2: Right. And
0: that was, like... That was a Philp thing through and through. He was the one who emailed me the link like the day before my twenty-first birthday and was like, "Hey, you should apply to this." And I said, "Hey, thanks." And then they emailed me back twenty minutes after I applied, and they were like, "Let's do an interview tomorrow." And I was like, "Okay, great. Like, let's do it." And yeah, the rest is kind of history.
2: All right.
3: So you did that, and then where'd you go from? Well, you didn't. You, that was an internship, more more or less an internship.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, and then that ended. And what happened?
0: Um, Well, I interned with Warner for like a year and a half. Um, I did. I kind of made my way through their college program. I did the ambassador stuff. And then I did um, their associateship, which was for like older undergrad students. Mm -hmm. Um, That was like in the office internship. And then you got paid. Well, I got paid. Well, I got paid as a rep, but I got paid more (laughs) as an associate. Um and then I did that for like almost the entirety through my senior year and then spring semester senior year I was like I think I want to be done with Warner for now and I interned at Vector Artist Management which mm-hmm. is Kesha's artist yeah. management company and I did that for like a semester unpaid not glamorous right. not really my vibe and then I graduated and I was like well shoot now what, <laughs> um, and just kind of uh, started applying to jobs out the gate. And I applied for this ASCAP job as, uh, as a global member services representative, which was basically glorified advice um, on like, a call, through a call center. So like songwriters would call, um, they would ask questions about like song registrations, publishing, PROs, management, labels, everything, distribution, Um, And then we would give them basically advice Mm -hmm. literally all day long. It was being on the phone. You'd take like 70 calls a day. It was absurd, but kind of awesome. It was a lot.
3: Let me interrupt. When you got that job, did they give, did they quiz you to see if you were going to, if you knew anything?
0: Yeah. Um, My first interview with them was like maybe a month after I graduated. like, I really didn't have a whole lot of time. I did take a couple weeks where I, like, didn't do anything just to kind of, like, reset. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and my first interview was just very, like, HR standard. My second interview was with Seth Saltzman, who is still there. He's actually someone that Sony works with a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. He, I believe, is the head of Member services, US member services. Um, it was before they had like a manager in the member services. He was kind of just a fill in. And we sat and we actually talked about my capstone, which was like the development of the streaming service
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and how it went from being like an illegal thing to a very legal thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we talked about that for a while. But then he did quiz me a little bit on what I knew about publishing songwriters and PROs but after that they kind of stopped doing it and relied on me um I would give like a presentation um I referenced your guys's book quite a bit (laughs)
2: Mm.
0: and just like it was really they should have relied more on that type of stuff because we were giving out this advice but eventually it just kind of relied on me to like give the new hires a crash course in music business 101 But really, most of the new employees were people coming out of college who had a degree or experience.
3: Right. So when you got a call, not you, but when one of the people in the bullpen got a call and they didn't know the answer, was there a supervisor they could say, put the songwriter on hold and get back to them?
0: Yeah. Um, That was also me for a time, for a short time. Um, There was myself and another individual who were like senior reps who -hmm. just had more experience um and they would send us like a message through we would use like google chat and Mm -hmm. they they would be like okay this is what the thing is and then we would respond um eventually i got a little sick of it because it was like kind of breaking up my day as well um and i knew that it was kind of getting on the other reps nerve as well so we created a manual and it was basically like a 150 page Google doc. That was like ASCAP top to bottom. And then if they had questions, they could just search through the manual to find whatever they needed. Or mm-hmm. we, we would say like, Oh, it's on page, whatever, of the manual and they mm-hmm. would go in and find whatever they needed.
3: Okay. So you, when did you get tired of that? And left?
0: COVID uh, it was definitely during COVID. Um, mm-hmm. That was a really difficult time to work at a PRO like very hard. Thankfully, they didn't really lay anyone off at ASCAP, which was amazing,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: it was really hard to tell songwriters, you know, give them basically like, you'd have to rip off the band with bad news all the time. And it mm-hmm. was very exhausting emotionally. Um, and it was like, I mean, you were kind of getting their reaction firsthand, with this bad news and they're they they were not disguising it because they were also very stressed out <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah so
0: at some point very early on we were like we have to figure something else out because they're calling in just waves we would get so many calls about you know why was their payment being held and we had to figure out where to get the money to right. pay them because of how their licensing system worked um we had to figure out how we had to, like, if we had to adjust their, their rates that they were getting paid. Um, and then of course, there are songwriters that just rely on live music. Yeah. You know, they're submitting their live performances and now they're not playing live, but they get 10 streams on Spotify. How is that going to affect their payment? Right. And you're just like, ah, you know, it's, it was difficult for sure.
3: All right, All right. So you left?
0: I left, yeah. Okay. I did. I went to uh, what is now downtown music services for a short stint for like eight months. Um, I worked in their business affairs department. I really just needed a break, to be Mm -hmm. quite honest. I just needed something else to get off the phones. And I think that was like kind of the good, like the right move for me. Mm -hmm. Um, While I didn't particularly enjoy what I was doing at downtown, it was like a good time to reset and just get me kind of on the right path, figure out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't typically like stay at a job for less than a year. That's not my, my, my vibe at all. It's not how I would do things. Right. Um, but once I found like this Sony gig, I was like, I have to jump on it. This seems like something I'm really interested in. I've always wanted to work at Sony. They've always been on my list and I just knew that I had to jump on it.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: So you interviewed there.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Again, how many interviews did they make you go through?
0: Um, I think I did three at Sony. I think I did the, um, just your basic HR over the phone. And then I did a Zoom meeting, my team's meeting, I guess, uh, with the department. And then they brought me into the office. And that was kind of like the first taste. We really gelled really well together right off the bat. Mm. Like we really, and we still really get along very well. It's a very small department. It's five people, including myself. Mm. Um, but it's very, we're really effective and we just really, really work well together.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: So what do you do? What's, what's your daily like?
0: Uh, well, I work in the U.S. digital department, which is actually kind of a relatively new department um, mm. at Sony, at Sony Music Publishing, I guess I should clarify. Uh, which used to be Sony ATV for the people who did not know about the rebrand, formerly Mm -hmm. Sony ATV. Um, But yeah, so I work in U S digital. So basically my day to day is a lot of putting out fires. (laughs) Basically um, I work probably most of my day on YouTube and resolving YouTube conflicts. Mm -hmm. So things that come through with the content ID system, people, people, making like false claims on songs, other publishing companies making false claims on songs, Um, working with uploaders if they are disputing a claim. So maybe they cover a Lady Gaga song. We put a claim on it because Lady Gaga is one of our writers. They dispute it because they don't understand what a claim is. And then there's usually some sort of back and forth about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also working with PROs at this point which has been very reminiscent of my days at ASCAP. Um, But I'm in basic, basically like constant contact with them to try to resolve (laughs) mass quantities of conflicts in YouTube. Um, Usually it's like if a writer switches from one PRO to another, maybe we weren't notified, Mm. or maybe they are switching publishers, Um, kind of just working with them. They also... PROs are like pretty new to the claiming system in YouTube. So they don't really know how it works. Um, When I was working at ASCAP, they weren't making claims on YouTube videos. Mm
2: -hmm. Their only
0: connection to YouTube was that they were paying people for it, but they weren't really claiming videos. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're kind of working with them so they understand a little bit better what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But also if they've got catalog questions about, you know, splits, which is very important. I cannot stress this enough. If you're a songwriter, get your splits hammered out day one. It's so Mm -hmm. important. Get your IPI numbers, get your PRO affiliations day one. It's so important. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've been working, yeah, with publishers and PROs to go over splits and things like that. Um, Take down requests on YouTube, on social media, on other platforms, other DSPs
1: gosh it's kellen let me let me ask you so yeah. you're you're representing sony mm-hmm. so so or sony music publishing so when you're talking about like a takedown request your your sony sony music publishing telling youtube or tiktok or whomever take down this track it's an unauthorized use of our underlying composition is that what you're saying when you're saying the takedown
0: yeah exactly
1: what, um, when are you deciding to do that versus just earn revenue back from from advertising or something like which happens a lot on youtube so wh- when is it when is the decision made we're going to issue a takedown for this track
2: that's
0: a good question um so usually a lot of times it does come from like upper management um so like if maybe someone reached out to us and asked if they could use a beyonce song they wanted to sample a beyonce song And we said no, because Beyonce says no. But then they released the track anyway, because Beyonce says no, we have to take it down. Like it's usually, there's not a lot of wiggle room for that type of stuff. A lot of times it's a denied sample request or interpolation request, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And people will just put up the videos anyway. They just- So
1: so it's more that than me recording my own version of the song in my bedroom and just uploading it to YouTube.
0: Yeah, like usually we wouldn't do stuff like that. Um, that doesn't happen all all too often. Um, usually it's just a denied sample request. I mean, I don't think I've ever taken anything down for just a cover or anything like that.
3: Were you there when Marty Bandier was there or did you, were you get hired with Platt, isn't that his name?
0: John Platt, yeah. Um, right. I was a John Platt hire. Um, mm-hmm marty's presence does still live (laughs) in the building that's for sure um i've heard a lot of stories but uh yeah i was a john Platt hire but he's he's so hands-on he's so cool he's in the office a lot um he's really friendly and he's really i think his a and r background is really giving him a leg up as a Mm -hmm. ceo like he's really involved in the artists or the writers that we sign so that's really that's
3: really cool when I just thinking out loud, David, when I was at Syracuse teaching there, Marty Bandier wrote me a tenure letter. His brother owned a bookstore on Marshall Street, which was a commercial street by campus. And his brother was a I, I don't know, I think he was a big band fan. Anyway, I got to know him pretty well. And he yes. said, Would you like my brother to to write you a you know I said, sure. And then when he was with, um, oh, I think he was with, um, was the builder the build the uh, frac. There was a company, and I went to see him a couple of times when I, when I was still under the Syracuse teaching umbrella. But I but think... he's a real he's a, he's a board member at Syracuse. But he's a real, you know, Marty's Marty. I mean, he's a real nice guy. But that cigar is there for a reason. Yeah
0: he's very old school i've been told very old music business but i think that he has like a department or something in at syracuse in the music business department Yeah, i think he's got
3: bandier, it's the bandier program out of newhouse,
0: yeah yeah we take some interns from there every year
3: yeah i would see why
2: yeah <laughs> okay, carry
1: on okay so um One thing I thought we would do is, uh, and this is actually, Kellen, you gave us a a really nice shout out at the beginning. I'll give you one because we redid our book, uh, Managing Your Band. We did a seventh edition that came out last year. And there's a big chunk in there that has to do with the pros and has to do with ASCAP. And a lot of that information is from, I actually talked to you and I grilled you Mm -hmm. about a whole lot of things with ASCAP. And what okay. I was thinking we can right. do now, I know you're not there anymore, but you still know basically everything about it. Cause I had a question a week or so ago and I was texting you mm-hmm. something about ASCAP. There were a lot ASCAP from, uh, an independent singer songwriter perspective can be a real hassle. I don't want to say hassle. It can be hard to understand. It, mm-hmm. it can be once they start, uh, a lot of singer songwriters or just, you know, writers will input their information and it's wrong. So I have a series of questions that I'll that I kind of was coming up with of experiences either I've been through or that I know other people would go through. Uh, and I figured I'd just kind of start from the beginning and just ask you, and you can kind of fill us in because I think this could be very helpful to a lot of people who well, even if they've been using ASCAP, I'm working with the band right now. Um, who's got like 68 or 72 songs or something. These three guys in the band have been writing together um, and we're finding discrepancies in their entries into ASCAP. And they thought they had it all right. And they actually did a pretty good job, but I've dealt with other people and it's just been a complete mess. So um, my first question is, and I think this is sort of a really interesting one. You're a songwriter, you want to join ASCAP. It's $50, I believe, to join. BMI is free, but um, and BMI is the main competitor of ASCAP. BMI actually just uh, is becoming a private company. They've been public forever. So I sign up as a songwriter. I go up to ASCAP. I start registering my stuff. All of a sudden, it says publisher. I don't have a publisher, but I have to fill this out. What do I do about this whole publishing side within the song that I'm registering for ASCAP?
2: Yeah,
0: so that's a really good question. That was a very common question when I was working at ASCAP. Um, you can do a few things. So you can either sign up as a publisher with ASCAP, uh, which is $50. but I think both memberships are $50. Um, you can be basically your own independent publisher. You don't need a business um, like EIN. You can use your own social security number. You can name it whatever you want, um, but you really need that publishing entity so you can get that half of your royalty. Without it, you're going to lose half of your money right off the gate. Um, It's important to keep in mind that with whatever PRO you're affiliated with um, in the U.S., so if you're ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, GMR, your publishing entity also has to be that PRO. So you can't be an ASCAP writer and a BMI publisher. Right. You have to stick with one side. So basically, I guess, you know, to make a long story longer, sign up to get a publishing entity through ASCAP. Fifty dollars. You don't have to be a business.
1: And it's important for people to understand. um, There's this thing about music. When you hear a song, there are two parts to a song. There's what we hear, which is the recording. Then there's the underlying composition which is this, 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 the, we'll call it this oh, the underlying composition. It's the song, but not the recording. And that's what we're talking about now is the underlying composition. And so there's that too. And then in the underlying composition, there are two parts to that. There's the songwriter side and the publisher side. And it's important for independent songwriters to understand, even though you don't have a publisher, you still need to, you are basically self-published. So you still need to account for that publishing side, even though you don't have a Sony music publishing entity. And that's that's kind of what you were just explaining.
0: Yes. Yeah. You can also sign up um, with distribution companies like CD baby or song trust, and they can also publish your work um, as well as distribute it, or they can administer your work if you still want to self publish your work. Mm -hmm. So that's also an option. Um, that might be more money. I think I'm sure I know that there are other costs to put music through CD baby specifically. Um, but well worth your time and money for sure.
1: Yeah. Sure. There are different things. Like, uh, I believe there's CD baby pro. I think like there are some places where they'll actually perform the ASCAP function for you, but mm-hmm. they're like a middleman at that point, And you're paying them basically to do something they can do a one-time 50- do, do you, um, ASCAP, I think I sign up, it's 50 bucks, it's two years, then after two years, do I have to re-up re for another $50, or am I $50 one time forever until I...
0: It's a, it's a one-time fee. Uh, right. Your contract is a rolling one-year contract, so if you did decide that you want to resign from ASCAP, um, you get like a window every year where you can resign, and then come a certain date, then you can move to another PRO, but... Mm-hmm. It's a one year fee or a one-time fee rolling annually.
2: Okay. Um, so if
3: that artist doesn't do the doesn't have a publisher,
2: they
3: mm-hmm. say they're losing money, does that money go that they've lost or are losing? Does that go into what's called the black box?
0: That's a very good question. Um, with PROs, it goes uncollected. So if you don't notify us that you have a publisher, we're just not gonna look for the money. Um, so nothing gets reported to us we're just looking for that the writer half
3: ah so that money goes somewhere but not with ASCAP or not under any type of uh, you know uh an account or something
0: right <laughs> yeah it doesn't get reported to ASCAP that stays with the DSP or whatever mm-hmm. you're you know you're being played on
1: all right when Marconi and I started, uh, I would say it was around 2014 or something. Um, we were going to some things like uh, what was the thing Marconi in New York City? They don't have it anymore. Dave Laurie did it. What was that show with Tom? Oh, it was called um... New Music Seminar, right? Yes, New
3: Music Seminar. New Music
1: Seminar. So we used to go there, and Sound Exchange would do these uh, talks, and they would say we've collected money for writers who aren't registered with Sound Exchange. We have your money. Just register and you can get your money. But we're, we're holding on to your money right now. Okay. Um, the MLC is doing that right now, which is the they mechanical are. licensing collective. They're holding money. Like I've, I mentioned this band with like 60 some odd songs. Um, I have to register these three guys as writers with the MLC because they have across the board more than 10 million streams to their songs. So there's a few bucks in there. They're not going to become wealthy, but there's money that's Mm -hmm. being held for them that we have to get because it's been held there for a number of years. And Marconi, that, that money will eventually, it's right now it is in a black box. And the idea is after a certain amount of time that they're just going to, if that money is not uh, distributed to whomever it has to go, it's going to go to basically the major publishers. So they're going to get money for artists and songs, uh, that they had nothing to do with, but because they're who they are, it's gonna be earmarked toward them. Right. Um, which is not
0: that we don't want you to claim your songs because we still want you to claim your songs. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's the thing. So it's not not like yeah, it's not like Kellen is the bad guy, or even John Platt necessarily is the bad guy. They'll take the money if it came to them, but they're also there is a quite a campaign by the MLC specifically saying stating, don't be lazy, don't be stupid, understand. But there is a mechanical royalty when your song is streamed or when your song is sold in physical form, CD, cassette, DVD, whatever, not DVD, uh, CD, uh, vinyl. Um, And you need to collect that royalty on your behalf because when your song is distributed through CD Baby or DistroKid, those services are only collecting the sound recording royalty for you. And there are three royalties when you stream a song. There's the sound recorder royalty. So uh, DistroKid will collect that for me. The mechanical royalty, I need to register with the MLC uh, to have that collected. Although that is just the United States, they're not collecting for international. That's another thing. Um, and this is where you can see how this starts to get really complicated. If you're an indie artist, and you do not know any of this stuff. And this is why go to William Patterson and we teach it. And
2: exactly. then there's a
1: third royalty when a song is streamed, that's the public performance royalty. And that's what we're talking about now with your ASCAP, BMI, et cetera, CSAC, GMR, Global Music Rights, they're collecting that. So when a song is streamed, even though I might stream it just in my headphones, it's still considered a public performance. That one stream is only generating a portion of a portion of a portion of a portion of a a penny, but that can add up for you. So, and even if it is like 17 cents, why should somebody else get it instead of you? It's your intellectual property. You should get it. That was my rant. How was that, Kelly? It
3: was great. Spot on. Sound, sound exchange also, um, you go on the website and you can search. You know, you search if your name is there uh, as a writer, I guess, because that's with most of the guys that don't know what's going on. And they can see if there's money for them. We've done that several times. I used to, um, I think Dave, you did it with me once. We'd go into the first meeting of all the jazz adjuncts at William Patterson. Right, there had been writers, and they've been you know they've been screwed their whole lives. Let's put it that way, and um, see the light bulbs go off, you know, and uh, several of them would be, um, they know something, but th- but it's not right, what they know, <laughs> but right. they knew do know something probably from listening to somebody else because they you know none of them had great managers or anything, you know, then I mean, usually doing recordings they're being paid just for the, um, just for the session, not uh, don't have royalties on, the, on it. So the writers, we were hoping we'd get a little more schooled. And uh, the first thing I would tell them is to go to sound exchange and see if there's any money there because you don't realize uh, that the, the um, digital world is better for jazz than the public radio. You know, it's, I mean, the radio, because it's only public stations that play jazz.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, you can even do that with the MLC, too. Um, yeah. I was in a meeting recently. Someone from the MLC said that they had a bunch of songwriters reach out just through the contact button and you yeah. can give them your information and they'll look to see if you have royalties there.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and then you can decide whether or not you want to sign up and collect your royalties. So yeah. like there is all of this money just sitting out there for you. You might as well collect it.
1: And I will uh, give a positive uh, vibe out there to the MLC. Their customer service is excellent. I've it reached really out is. to them uh, either over over the phone or just through the like the chat and or email, and they get back to you really fast. They're re- It shocks me how good they are, and they're good. So um, that's that's a cool thing. Okay. Back to ASCAP specifically. So I register, I write a song with one or two other people and I don't register it with ASCAP, but songwriter number two does. Mm -hmm. I then go in and I look and the guy who registered the song did some things that were wrong. Can I edit it or only the person who registered it is the only person who can edit that information?
0: That's another good question. Another very common question. Um, The person who initially submitted it can edit it straight from their dashboard. Like there should be an option for them to do that. Um, If your information is on there, like your IPI number, um, and you can identify that it's you, you can also send a message through your dashboard. um, Include the name of the song, the work ID, and then whatever your discrepancy is. If the splits are wrong, if you know, maybe an IPI number is wrong or something. Just let us know or let them know, I guess. Um, And then the repertory department will go and fix the work. Should be relatively quick. They've got a pretty decent turnaround time these days. Um, And then they'll let you know. And then if there are any royalties that need to be credited or debited, um, I believe you should see that in the next quarter or maybe two quarters. Um, They do pay quarterly. So something to keep in mind as well. I think okay. all
1: PROs pay quarterly. All right, that's good. So we're looking specifically at one work um, for our listeners. I have ASCAP opened up. And w- there's a song there. And uh, this one particular song, it does state, editing on this work is disabled because it was not submitted by this account. So in this case, I would do what you said. Let's say I, I, I realize that I'm this artist here, and I go down, and my... Like I only like literally right now in this thing in the in the shares I see I'm I don't see everything here Quicker,
0: uh, I'm only no. seeing one publisher. On this yeah, work. that's what
1: that's what's throwing me off. And just
0: um, for twenty five percent, looks like maybe you've got three writers there.
1: It looks like three writers and one publisher, and between and it yeah, and it all equals one hundred percent, which is fine. But it's supposed to be the writers equal fifty and the publishers equal fifty.
0: Yes. And that's not. Did right this point. work come from a different PRO? Did someone register it with BMI?
1: Uh it might be. I'm looking at it now because the yeah. guy at the top is BMI. And that's the next question. The guy in the middle is ASCAP. The uh third writer doesn't have any uh, affiliation, it it appears at this point at all either. So that's another thing. Let's say I'm I'm registering a work, I have my information, and then songwriter number two has no information in the system. Do I just leave it blank Um, because I still want to collect for me and suppose that writer isn't getting back to me or and or he just says, yeah, I'll do it. I got to do that. I got to do that. And I just keep waiting and he's not doing it. I still want to get my quarterly statement because maybe the song is streaming or doing something. I want my money. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sick of waiting for this person. Can I just register it even though I have incomplete information?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, You can mark them as an unknown writer. If you type in their name, chances are somebody else has a similar name, um, and then you might credit somebody else, um, and that other person's going to get paid, and that's a whole situation altogether. Um, but yeah, I would just I would mark them as an unknown writer. If you honestly just type in unknown writer, it'll come right up. Click on it. Um, once it's submitted, and maybe that writer then you know joins a PRO or finally gets back to you with your IPI number, you can edit it. Same thing if you submitted it yourself, you can edit it or you can send a message and the repertory department will make that work record update for you. Um, but definitely always be submitting the work. I would um, be hesitant, you know, if that unknown writer maybe then gets their IPI or whatever it is, don't have them submit the work. The work already exists. Um, make the update. I guess let me backtrack a little bit. If they're the same PRO, do not let them register the work again. Just update your existing registration. If they are BMI in this case, have them submit a registration with BMI, update your registration with ASCAP, and then you should be squared away. Um, At some point, the registration with BMI and ASCAP, um, they have – so to go a step further, ASCAP and BMI do have a shared database. So it's called uh, SongView, I believe. So Mm -hmm. if a song has ASCAP and BMI writers, it should show up with the same shares, same ISWC in both catalogs. Um, So eventually their BMI registration and the ASCAP registration will recognize that they're the same song. Um, And then they'll be marked as SongView or whatever. They'll have the shared ISWC. So that's kind of an extra step, something else to kind of think about, but always register the song. You can always edit it later on.
1: All right. So, so two people, two songwriters, one's ASCAP, one's BMI. The ASCAP person signs everything, registers it with ASCAP. The BMI writer registers everything with BMI. Eventually they will reconcile between the two in song. Okay. Sorry, Mark. Yes. Yes.
3: No, I I have a question is how do you have the authority to, edit. In other words, let's say, well, I'm having a fight with songwriter four. So I'm going to say I own 40% of the song. Can I go in and change it to 40%? I mean, is this who's checking the original submission? If there was one,
0: that's a really good question. So if there's a dispute like that, so if, you know, I registered a song, and I'm, you know, I put everyone in 25%, Someone else comes back and says, actually, it's 40%. And th- that second person cannot edit the registration from their dashboard. Then they have to send a message. And uh-huh. a case like that, where they're saying, no, we, maybe they're more explicit about it. You know, we're having a dispute. We might come back to them and say, okay, we need like a copyright registration or a mm-hmm. copy of a split sheet. Something that's a little bit more official if it looks like there's an actual dispute like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's happened a lot. <laughs> we, uh, I know when I was at ASCAP, we would get you know calls from songwriters with songs that had been out 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And they're still disputing splits. Yeah. And it's it's tedious and it's, uh, you know, their copyright department then kind of has to look into it, the repertory department. They have to do their own research, which is why I'm very adamant when I say, like, just work it out as peacefully as you can from the beginning.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: And I imagine with the popularity of hip hop in the recent years that, you know, we keep hearing these stories of 21 writers and 18 publishers on Mm -hmm. a song. I'm making the numbers up, but (laughs) huge huge splits and so on. I just can't, I can't fathom how they would agree on it, that everybody would agree on it.
2: We
0: get disputes regularly at Sony, where it's big, usually... I would say it is probably more common in hip hop and pop songs for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's 10, 12, 15 writers and the publishers, you know, we can't collect royalties. Everything's on hold because someone's claiming an extra 2%
2: yeah.
0: or something like that. Or someone's claiming, you know, a producer, they're a producer on the work, mm-hmm. but none of the other split sheets show that you're a producer on the work or that you should be getting a, a songwriting credit just because you produced it. Mm-hmm. So it it's, way more common than you think. Um I could tell a million stories about Tupac songs or Biggie songs or whatever. Uh working at ASCAP, people calling and being like, yeah, well, I actually wrote the song. I was a co-writer 25 years ago. And then you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) You're a little you're SOL there, because there's not a lot we can do for you at this
2: point. (laughs) Right. All
1: right. I can see how this could be rife for uh for people who are in the know to totally take advantage of those who are not in the know, yeah, like a sle- sleazeball manager or somebody saying, I'll do it all it for you. Years. Yeah. And he or she puts that, puts him or herself as a co-writer, just in ASCAP, for example,
2: right. and
1: uh, or the publisher or something like that. And then uh, gets money for a long time until it's you, finally you caught. Have,
3: you have watched the movie you require the students in rock uh history to do what, in cadillac, cadillac records or in cadillac yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean you have watched it i mean that's the whole that's it that's what happened through the entire 50s chess brothers or not that's what happened
2: yeah but
1: it can and happen honestly, today it can happen it right does. here.
0: It, it it's way more common than you think yeah. um yeah i used to try to talk parents out of being managers slash publishers for their child prodigy songwriters Uh. a lot at ASCAP because it wasn't fair I mean there's a lot of concern you don't want to take advantage of children you don't want to take advantage of naive songwriters or indie songwriters in general and people really do get confused about the difference between managers publishers producers Um, there was always a lot of conversation on the phone with people who would interchange the word producer and publisher um, mm. because they really don't know the difference, which is really shocking. <laughs> um, but, and you don't want people to take the wrong things. You don't want them, you know, and then in 10, 15 years have to go to court or something to rectify this dispute. It's, it's, it's a lot, but I would definitely encourage songwriters to like really do your research, read a lot of books. Talk to, you know, call your PRO, call the MLC. call a publisher, a distributor, because you don't want to get taken advantage of. And it's really common.
3: Using, using those terms loosely too, we always see it with um, actors and actresses on uh, the talk shows, where they interchange manager and agent. And I'm not sure they even know if they have a manager because the agent probably at CAA is doing so much for them, et cetera, et cetera. But I exactly. them, I, I'm, I'm always conscious of that when I hear them, you know, interchangeably those two words and, and they're two different people.
0: So. I totally agree. I mean, we would also, you know, have managers call and also claim that they were agents and yeah. there were things where like, well, we, I always try to make it like a teaching moment. I did that a lot at ASCAP. I wanted people to like leave the conversation much smarter than they were when they called. Um, yeah. Because it is such a confusing thing. And agents and managers, that's a really great example. You know, or a promoter and a manager. Yeah. <laughs> like people just really don't have any idea.
1: Yeah. So uh, in ASCAP, and this is why I texted you the other day, um, a manager oversees, you know, manages a band and they're also songwriters. The manager wants to get into the songwriter's account, but uh, the manager cannot create his own account that then has access to each songwriter's account with ASCAP. Um, He needs to become a designated user. Can you explain that in the ASCAP side?
0: Yeah. Um, So when you create your account with ASCAP, you set up a username and password to use their online portal Um, from there you can add a designated user and you can basically they get like a username and password to access the account. There are things that the designated user can't do. Um, I don't know that they can view royalty statements or maybe it's download royalty statements. I'm not totally clear on that anymore. Um, But you can also give them certain access to certain things. So there's like, options maybe you don't want them to register songs or maybe you don't want them to view your catalog or whatever it may be there are options um unfortunately ASCAP doesn't have a system in which you can have one username and password and then just like click on one of your songwriters after we spoke I was like wow that would be a really great idea (laughs) because you you'd mentioned that the MLC does something like that which is
1: BMI does too
0: yeah there you go
2: yeah
0: um But I I really do wish that ASCAP did have something like that. It probably would help solve a lot of problems. Um, But I do think that because of things like that, that is why managers do then try to act as a publisher because then they can access the publishing side of it and then they can view statements, register songs, do everything that like the publisher can do. Um, And then from there, you can kind of, you can see splits in different things, be catalogs just from that account as well. So I think that a lot of times people who are managers would just then take over the publishing side without really mm-hmm. knowing what that entailed.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So in in my case, I've, uh, I'm a designated user for four different songwriters who are ASCAP, which means I have, uh, four separate, uh, login accounts as a manager, um, because mm-hmm. each person, uh, each songwriter has to give me, uh, a a login name and a password. Um, Mm -hmm. and they have to be, they can't, it can't be the same. So I literally have four different accounts versus they have one, but so just for me, it's just keeping track of what it all is versus BMI, MLC. Yeah. Even sound exchange I can have. It's just me, my company, and I have these people under me and I've access. they, and they fill out paperwork to allow me to have access to do whatever I want to do. So, but that's just a a little quirk, just a tiny little difference, but it's important for people to know
2: that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm right there with you. I think it's a swell idea to be quite honest. So I'll Mm -hmm. let the, the powers that be know at ASCAP.
1: Okay. A songwriter registers a song. How long does it take until it's, it goes through the system at ASCAP and are people looking at it or is it really in the beginning, just software, unless there's a dispute?
0: um that's a good question so when you submit the song registration it automatically gets added to the ASCAP catalog it's immediate you get a work id right off the bat um it takes a couple days to get an ISWC I think it's like I want to say it's about a week if I remember correctly um but at first it's really just software unless you're Beyonce (laughs) then maybe they might take a look at it um it'll really just kind of stay in the catalog you know there's a lot of metadata that's going around I would say try to be as specific as you can also with registrations there's only a few things on registrations that are required but there's a lot of like additional information you can give it's really helpful for data matching um and as someone who works with disputes on DSPs currently. Um, I also cannot encourage you enough to fill out the additional information. If you have ISRC codes, super, super important. Um, That is an optional feature on a registration. So very important. If you have one, please put it in there. Um, But yeah, so unless there's like a issue right off the bat, it's gonna stay within the system mechanically, basically. Um, and then it takes about six to nine months before any streaming data, radio data, um, anything like that comes in, then that gets matched to the song. So you're not going to get paid immediately, which I know is frustrating, but that's really common for PROs. I believe the MLC um, in Sound Exchange, I think it takes about six months kind of across the board. Um, So be prepared for that. It's not an overnight thing. Um, Additionally, if you are performing those songs, by all means, submit your live performance claims um, as well. You tend to get paid a little bit more um, than just streaming. I think that's probably pretty clear, (laughs) Um, just with how low streaming rates are. But definitely submit those as well. Those also take about six to nine months. Um, just also know with those types of things that it does have to be at a licensed venue. It can't just be at like a house party um, because you're getting paid from that venue's license. So, but by all means,
1: submit those for, as well. For, for live shows, because BMI has BMI Live, which is mm-hmm. its own app, what does ASCAP have to register? I, I And basically what we're saying is mm-hmm. I, I have my... I'm a, my band. I'm doing a, a short run of 11 shows um, and I'm doing the same eight to 10 songs every show. I want to make sure that's public performance. I want to get whatever I can from that. So you're going to register all 11 shows with ASCAP. How do I do that?
2: Um,
0: there's a feature I think it's called like on stage, if I remember correctly. Um, it's right on your dashboard. I believe it's under the works section. There's a button that says on stage. Um, there you can create a set list. So if you're playing the same set list every night, you can just use that one set list. Um, and then you just log your performances.
2: So
1: it's exactly what you said under works. There's on stage and here you go. Okay. Yep.
0: You'll want to do the set list first. Um, and then it'll be listed under set list and then you'll do the add button for performances. Um, and then you can just add i think it's like the address the time um, maybe like the name of the band that types of of, of things it's pretty it it can take a few minutes um it's also important to note that with their claims if you noticed yeah there you go there's the performance information um the ticket fee and advance sales if you didn't really have anything like that that's okay it's not required Um, It just gives us a little bit more information about the show that you played. Um, You can select the set list from there, too. Um, But it's important to note that they only take um, these types of things, like these uh, performance claims, are like a quarter at a time. So if you're, I think, if you go back to like kind of the first page of On Stage, there's a section that tells you which dates they're collecting from. So, if you had a live performance between July first and October twenty eighth, which is today, um, then you like you have to submit those performances during that time frame. At this point, once the quarter rolls over, you can no longer submit those performance claims.
2: So the previous, that money is yeah. gone.
0: Right. Yeah, the previous quarter so that money is gone. Yeah, yeah, um, which is like unfortunate for people who just like maybe they don't have a manager an assistant or someone who can keep up on that if you're touring a lot um so it's it's one of those things that you really do have to kind of stay on but like i said you tend to get more money from live performances so definitely something to kind of keep in mind
2: okay um Is
3: is there any double checking that these performances were actually performed
0: yes yeah um Sometimes if the information doesn't line up, so under the performances tab, like under um, where you would fill out the information, it'll ask for the venue name.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um, And it's like all venues that have a license with us. If it doesn't come up and you like there's a section where you can add an address, they're going to look into it because either they don't have a license with us or something shady has gone down. Maybe you're just trying to get extra money. So they'll definitely look into that type of stuff. Um, see, there you go. Yeah, everything just kind of like immediately populates. It's really, it's a really cool tool. Not a lot, not enough people utilize it. So definitely try to try to use it when you can.
1: And again, they don't utilize it because they don't know about it. They don't think about it. So again, yeah. it's just um. That's what part of this discussion is: it's to make sure the people listening really get. You got to do these things. And we talked about metadata, get the metadata right. Here's here's another, add this little extra thing and you can get just a little bit extra money. Really important. Um, uh, Let's talk about international because we mentioned DSP, which means digital service provider. I upload my music. It's on Spotify, Apple. It's also on Deezer, which is really based in Europe. But uh, all of these DSPs are international. They're in hundreds of countries around the world. They're all collecting public performance royalties. How does ASCAP collect the money when I, let's say I have a really big streaming hit in the Philippines. How am I seeing any of that public performance money here in the U S?
0: Yeah. So ASCAP is your U S affiliated PRO. So they're like your home base PRO. So by being affiliated with ASCAP, that also means that you're affiliated with all of the ASCAP affiliates. So there are Foreign PROs that cover maybe a country or a list of countries or territories, they are our partners in collecting information for you. Their systems may not be, believe it or not, as fast as ASCAPs, so it can take longer to get foreign money. Um, I know some, it's like a year or two years, um, but they will... They're using similar technology that ASCAP uses. They're finding, you know, your streams in the Philippines, in France, in Japan, wherever it may be. And then they're going to send it to ASCAP. And then ASCAP will pay you from the same model, basically, that they're paying you domestically. Um, Like I said, it just takes a little bit longer.
1: I was just going to say, so that's definitely taking six months, nine months, a year. That's not...
0: Mm -hmm. If not more. uh, There are some... Um, When I started working at ASCAP, was 2019. um, We would get calls or whatever referencing statements and you'd look into their statement and it would be from like an African territory or country, a play from three years ago, from 2016, 2017, that they were getting paid for. So it takes some time.
1: Okay. Uh, We're almost out of time. So I have a a couple of like really quick, quick type answers. Um, I register a song. Then I decide to do an instrumental version of the song. Do I need to up, uh, register the instrumental version as well?
0: Well, let me ask you a question. Sure. Um, are there different songwriters on the instrumental? Did you use different people to make that adaption? Let's say no. Okay. No, then no. You can use the same registration, um, but you can add an alternate title. Yeah. So maybe you released it as song title instrumental. You would just add that as an alternate title. hmm and then we would look for all all of that information
2: it should still be the same.
1: So that that connects to the original registration of the original song.
2: Mm-hmm. There's an
1: oh, okay, so go back to the original registration of that song and there's a field that says alternate title and you can fill that in there.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so you don't have to create a whole new work. Basically. Right.
0: Same thing if it's like an explicit or like a radio edit, you can do that you know same process.
1: Okay, alternate what, title. What about remixes?
0: Remixes. And it, um, what if it
1: does have extra songwriters? So in that case, it's a brand new work.
0: Brand new work. Yeah. Add the the songwriters, um, if there's a different like song length time because it's a remix or whatever, new song title, new registration.
1: Okay. She mentioned earlier ISRC. That's a number that you get from your, that's based upon the audio recording. Mm-hmm. So um, you get that from, not from ASCAP, you get that from your distributor, basically. And that's Mm -hmm. something that you will input at some point.
0: Yes. You can also purchase them on yourself. I can't remember what the website is off the top of my head. I think it's like usisrc.net or something. (laughs) It's a little shady, but uh, you can definitely get them yourself too, or from your distributor, or even if you are signed to a label, they should also be able to help you out with that.
1: Yeah, I did that a couple of years ago. Actually, probably like four years ago, I bought a bunch of ISRC numbers for somebody. And I don't remember if it was $50 or $100 or something. But yeah. Um, and then final, final, final question. I mean, I had more, but really, um, when I become a member of ASCAP, I get a member ID, and I also get an IPI number. Yeah. What are the differences? And then you also also mentioned that um, your each work gets an uh, ISWC number. What's the difference between all these different numbers? What do they mean to me?
0: Yeah. So, your member ID is just an identifier with an ASCAP. Doesn't really mean anything else outside of it. It's just for ASCAP. Your IPI number is really important. That's like your social security number as a songwriter. That connects you to all the songs that you're associated with. So, very important. Make note of it. Um, You can get like a little digital card through your online account. Super important. Your ISWC is a different set of metadata um, that your PRO can assign. I believe all PROs can assign these. Um, It's just another, it's like an ISRC, but it's not for a sound recording. Um, I believe it's for like the composition itself. Um, And that can also travel with you similar like an ISRC. You can use it on streaming services. You can use it as metadata on YouTube very important um they're all it it can be very confusing you know all of these codes all of these you know different memberships that you have take it with a grain of salt and just really try to educate yourself because i know it's it's so confusing
1: and that's where spreadsheets come in handy
2: that's right put it
1: all uh, each song with just put all of these different numbers in their own column on a spreadsheet associated with each song and um because you'll need it for all different things. So you might as well just, just collect it, have it organized like that and you'll be okay.
0: And You can even export your own catalog from ASCAP and I believe you can do it as a PDF or an Excel. So you have all of it really right there.
3: There
1: we go. Dr. Stavon, do you have any final questions? Because we are at the...
3: Yes, oh. I see that. No, I don't. It's been very informative, uh, even to me being away now a year or so. Um, not even, but I mean, me being a year or so, yeah. So, no, it was great,
1: yeah. Well, it, thanks, it's, guys. Yeah, it's great information because, and it's stuff that you have to keep re educating yourself because it's very easy to forget all this. You know, if, if we had this conversation now and none of us used any of this information a year from now, we'd be like, I think, I think it, you know, because we just forget it, but it's also important and it's important, like I said, to re educate. Reeducate. If you're a songwriter, you have to know this. If you're a manager, you have to know this. Um, and so it's, it's just very, very important. So this was excellent.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks guys. And yes. to be quite honest, I wouldn't be, like I said earlier, I wouldn't be anywhere where I am without you guys. Same, even with the ASCAP stuff, everything that I learned about PROs and publishing, I like, I wouldn't have been able to have done the ASCAP job without learning what i had learned from you guys i used it on a daily basis and even when i was at downtown i wasn't really using that information until i had gone back to sony and now i'm using it on a daily basis once again Mm -hmm. so it's definitely worth your time check out the music business department at willie p i think that you will all be pleasantly surprised at how fantastic it is
1: That is, and thank you for teaching us yes of course that's what we like yes excellent. So Dr. Esteban, uh, we are at the end of every show and uh, Dr. Kellen, uh, at the end of every show, we do not say hello because that's ridiculous. Do you know what we say at the end end of every show, Dr. Kellen?
0: You know, I think if I recall, it might be adios.
1: It might not be, but it definitely is because we say
0: adios. Adios. Arrivederci. Arrivederci.
1: Adios. All right, for the podcast, here is some bonus, because I have a question for you, Kellen. Uh, It's in regards to television. And this actually happened, and you and I dealt with this, I think, two years ago. Mm
2: -hmm. So I
1: was working with a songwriter who who wrote a Christmas song that aired every year on TBS. And it was one song within this 30-minute holiday special. And this holiday special aired multiple times every year. The songwriter, who was affiliated with ASCAP, was never receiving any public performance revenue from his Christmas song that was airing on TBS. And the mm-hmm. cue sheet was there. Um, I think the cue sheet was, it included his info. It wasn't perfect. The cue sheet, it had some discrepancies for other artists, but he was still, his info is still correct, but he wasn't getting paid on the the play of this thing. Uh, this special that was airing on TBS. You had a reason why based upon sampling of what is airing on television. Can you explain how that works?
0: Sure. Uh, my information might be a little bit dated just because of how far out I am from, from ASCAP. Um, but really, so with things like, like satellite or cable TV, um, these providers, they pay a license, but we can't, or PROs can't track what's being played on every channel at all times. Um, Just because they can't afford to like they're paying a license, but it's it's not enough to cover tracking all of that information all the time, which is really unfortunate. So what they do is like during certain blocks of the day, they'll do like early morning, mid morning, afternoon, evening, and then I think it's like prime time and late night. It's a lot of different blocks. They'll take a certain period of time through those blocks, track what's being played during that time and then pay out from that sample um it i know it's really frustrating for people who do write exclusively for tv um, because you know you want to be paid for those performances but ultimately it is based on the sample or i'm sorry the licensing fee that is paid by the by like dish network or direct tv or comcast whatever it may be
1: and if you your song just by luck of the draw, it did not fall within that sample range.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it, it's the tree fell in the forest and I don't know if it made a sound or not because exactly. nobody was there to hear it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Versus like, a you know, Netflix, where that is like just like a regular streaming service. So if your, you know, Christmas special is being played a thousand times a day, you're going to get paid for that. It's going to be a different rate than, you know, a sample for regular television, but you will get paid for that. So it's, it's kind of a give and take with cue sheets. Um, if you're really interested in being a cue writer, best of luck, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a difficult business, but you know, more power to you.
3: Right, with, yes. I was just gonna say incidentally, there's a great uh, sort of a documentary film on ASCAP's called, called uh, on Amazon called The Music of 007, and mm-hmm. if you've got an hour to watch that, you should watch that, especially sidetrack dealing with a lot of this, but an excellent, especially for us musicians, it's really excellent.
1: So they talk about the creation of cue sheets and how artists well, get, and songwriters kind of, get paid? get not
3: directly. Not directly, but it's, it's all in there. The fights with the guys and so on, it's, it's excellent.
0: That's It's definitely something to note that I know a lot of production companies are kind of leaning towards stock music these days than hiring, do like work for hires, because they don't want to deal with it. Mm. Um, So it's just, it's kind of something to note, too, that that it's a little bit more of a struggle than it used to be. Um, But sync placements are huge. Suddenly, Um, I was just having a conversation last night with somebody who was saying that people don't really score movies anymore. It's all sync placements. Yeah. Which is true. But that's, you know, kind of a cash grab for those writers because you're getting paid kind of at the gate.
1: Yeah. And commercials, too. So much mm-hmm. is sync versus when I was a little kid and there were jingles um that were for McDonald's or Burger King or whatever, you know, but so much of these brands that they're, they're just licensing popular songs that were popular at some point. Right. Sync. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you for allowing us to have this bonus content for the podcast yeah. listeners of Music Biz 101 and more. And once again, we say... We
2: did Stain. We did Stain. I was going to am going to say, Shake it, shake it, mama, mama, shake it for me. me. Hoodies, boxes, funnets, girl, that's all I want to say. That's my cash to me. That's my cash